there, Kitty Beans and Blue Jeans. It's uh, McCowan. It's Shannon. On uh, game night. Well, it's always game night when you get to this time of year. Somebody's always playing. Somebody's um, but, always playing. Yeah. Uh, but um, I think everybody knows what I mean. It is uh, the Raptors and the 76ers in game six. Mm-hmm. A game that most would have said four or five days ago would not, would not be played, would not exist. No. Um, I have not lost confidence in this team. And maybe that was stupidity on my part. Maybe there was no basis for it. But I'm, I haven't lost confidence yet. I, I think they win tonight, and I think they got every chance in the world of, of winning on, uh, on s- Saturday, I guess. Saturday, yeah, Saturday. Game seven. Mm-hmm. I, is, I think they're winning both, Bob. I think yeah. they're, this is going to end up becoming a team of history in the NBA because no team has ever come from behind down three, three games. Yep, 75 years of the NBA, and it's never, ever, 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 ever happened. Right. And I see this Philadelphia team folding like a cheap suit. I think they are beaten right now. And if the Raptors ever shoot half decently from beyond the arc, um, this one will be a comfortable win. I'm quite quite sure of it. In any event, we're going to talk about all that stuff with a guy who, who knows at least as much, probably a bit more than you and I. You think? Uh, Doug Smith. How about collectively? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, he's our pal. Uh, Doug Smith of the Toronto Star will be with us. Basketball on the agenda today, and we'll commence after these messages. We are back. It's uh, McCown and Shannon on the program today, and we're with our buddy, our pal, our chum, uh, Doug Smith of the Toronto Star, who, of course, scribbles on the... Uh, Toronto Raptors and has been uh, obviously following the series and traveling back and forth. Honestly, after game three, did you think you'd, we'd be back here for uh, game six? No, you didn't. I, 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 no, I thought, I thought Philly would get one of, I thought they would get five at home. Yeah. I thought the Raptors could win game four, just the motion and the fans and being, they wanted to say, you know, they, they were playing great in game three, but I, I didn't think, I didn't think Philly would spit up game five like they did. Well, I got to tell you, and I know this is easy to say after the fact, but I, I never really lost confidence in this Raptors team. Every game they played better uh, throughout this entire series. They're better in two than one, better in three than two, better than four in four, and then better in five. And yeah. um, I don't know whether that can continue, but how do you, what do you think about game six? Oh, I, I love their chances at home, and I think they're in Philly's head a little bit. I think they figured out how to guard him with a, a little bit of extra length. They seem to get to Embiid as the series goes on. They're sort of limiting his – he's still really good, but they found a way to limit his contrib- contribution every night. And the rest of the Sixers just aren't that good. Like, James Harden got old fast. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that Danny Green and Tobias Harris can play five good games or six good games in a row. But, Doug, Doug to, to Bob's point, and perhaps the Raptors have been better – every game, but the Sixers have not. I mean, they, 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 yeah. this is, this is, a, this is an uphill climb versus a, a downhill yeah. climb. Yeah. The Sixers have regressed. Like they, there's no question about it. Um, and I think it's because the Raptors are guarding them better and do they're, they're doing their basic principles better, which allows them to expand on that in games one and two. They just didn't do anything. The Raptors, they didn't, they didn't guard in transition. They didn't rebound. Well, and that didn't turn them over in games three, four and five or four, five and Four and five for sure they did, and I think it it shows the limitations of the Sixers. They're a slow team, and if you speed them up, you're going to turn them over, and you're probably going to beat them. Did you get that sense of, frus- of frustration from the Raptors at any point in games one, two, and three? After three, they were pretty down because the way they lost game three, you know they, they they gave up a lot of chances, and at the end of the game, missed a couple free throws, missed a couple open looks, blew the coverage on Embiid's game winner, so. They were down, but you also sort of felt, okay, we, they felt they knew they could play with them and they could beat them. And, yeah, no one's ever come back from 3-0, and it's still, they're still only halfway there. Mm-hmm. But the confidence is, like, really, really high in this Raptor team. And it's all, it is game to game, and, and, but they, they're able to sort of figure things out once the game starts. And I think that's a very big feather in their cap. Um, they were better in game two than they were in game one. 
but two things happened in game one from my perspective. Philadelphia played as well as they can possibly play. Maybe played as well as any team in the NBA can play statistically. And the Raptors didn't play well. Uh, But what changes were made based on your eyes um, as this, what changes have been made over the course of the series? Cause this is a coach in Nick nurse that we should not underrate. Yeah. They've done some different things with Embiid sending double teams from different spots. But I do think the one thing with the Raptors is they got healthy and they got everybody used to the playoffs. Like Gary Trent was really sick game one and two, like he was yeah. not himself and they took advantage of him. Precious Achua was basically overwhelmed in games one and two. And now he looks like he's played 40 playoff games in his life. You know, Scotty Barnes going out with the ankle, screwed game one and cost him game two. Now he's basically healthy and ready to go. So they got all their guys in the series, and they did a couple of tactical things that sort of sped and beat up and, and frustrates him. And he's a very – he can easily frustrate him inside of a game by a second defender, a third defender, or not a second defender. And you can c- kind of – Confuse him a little bit. And if he's confused, that team's just not that good. Well, uh, Matt Devlin was on with us the other day, and I outrageously wondered whether the absence of Fred Van Vliet, who I assume is going to be out tonight um, and probably won't play in game seven, um, if there is one, that that may have been something of an advantage for this team. And that is not to diminish the significance no, of no. Van Vliet or his talent or his leadership. And the leadership was still there. From, it was just on the bench. But can you see the logic in, oh, in that assessment? A hundred percent. Cause it allows the Raptors to play bigger. Uh, you know, they put five, six, eight, six, nine guys out on a court and that allows them to switch everything defensively. It, it gets them a little bit quicker that they're quicker than Philly all over the court. And in this matchup, that's a better defensive deployment. Now, again, like you said, Bob, not to, Fred's a great player and is going to help them if he gets to play in a second round, no question about it, and he is their leader. But in this matchup, in this series, the length is an issue for Philly. And not having Fred in there and being able to play Barnes, Ananobi, Siakam, Trent, and Achua, and then Thad Young and Chris Boucher off the bench, gives you a, a, a long, quick, switchable defense that Philly really hasn't figured out yet. The the bench actually, you know, all, all year long, Bob and I have been, and I think a lot of people have been lamenting that this team is not that deep, but boy, oh boy, it, it, they may not be 10 deep, but eight deep for sure. Right. That's, and that's just what you need in the playoffs. You're only going to play eight guys any night, basically anyway, but yeah, the emergence of Thad Young is kind of a veteran guy who calms them down a little bit has been a big plus. Achua coming off the bench behind Ken Birch has been a great bonus. And Chris Luce has been quietly really effective in mm-hmm. what he does. Rebounding, running the floor, being disruptive. Um, so those, like, they're all basically the same guy coming off the bench. They're all like centers and power forwards, but they're different looks. And, uh, you know, the, the depth at eight is quite fine for this team. And that platooning of the, of the center, of, of uh, uh, the guy defending Embiid has really taken its toll on the on the, the Philly center, hasn't it? Yeah, because they get him different looks. Like uh, Birch bangs him, Achua speeds him up with his quickness. That or Boucher is like crazy long and and their arms all, all over the place and a little bit disruptive. They've used Scotty Barnes on him every now and then. Mm-hmm. They, they're the key to them is giving guys different looks in the flow of a game, which might steal you four possessions, and those four possessions could be the difference between winning and losing. Uh, here's another point I made, and I'm also, again, intrigued by your response to this. Um, Embiid in game five, I have to think about what game we're at here. In game five, looked like he quit. Yeah, they all did. The only guy on the team who played hard that night, I thought that was Maxi, who played mm-hmm. with, with speed and, and purpose. In the second half, both of them, I think the rest of the team basically mailed it in. And you wonder if that's just not an attitude that's now in them that they know if they get down tonight, they might just go away again. And I'll tell you something, the Philly fans booing that team in the first quarter of game five got to the players because it's all of a sudden, oh my God, what's going on here? And the boos in the second half were, they were unbelievable. It was, I've I've been in Philly for a lot of playoff games over the years. I've never seen it like that. Really? That bad? Yeah. Oh, it was, 
it was really noticeable early, but in the second, like the third quarter, in the middle of the fourth, when the Raptors put the game away, people were fleeing the arena with like five minutes to go. And the ones who were staying were booing pretty, pretty much every time out. Yeah, but Doug, that's a, that's a really intelligent basketball fan base. And if you can see that Embiid's, you know, mailing it in, they can too. Oh, yeah, they're, oh, they're, they're, they're not dumb, but they're, they're certainly not supportive. They don't lift, <laughs> guy, they don't, they don't lift teams out of bad, uh, bad stretches. They bury them. Yeah. And I think if there's a Game 7, that's going to be a big factor because I think if the Raptors get up, everybody's going to turn on the Sixers. Uh, so Embiid has a fractured finger. Um, is it a finger or a thumb? Thumb. 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 Torn ligament, yeah. Yeah, well, whatever. Um, it, isn't, it doesn't noticeably affect his play. It hasn't, to me at least. But how much of a factor do you think that really is? Oh, I think it's a significant factor because he can't dribble. So when he catches the ball at the elbow or at the top or at the, at the wing, you get a guy right on him and make him dribble around you. He can't do that. Yeah. But that's his, it's his right hand. It's just like his dominant hand. And if you speed him up and make him put the ball on the floor, chances are the other, a, a secondary defender is going to come and swipe it away, or he's going to be too slow and too deliberate. And he's not going to get a good shot off. Like that's, that's where it really limits them. And the Raptors know it. And you want and notice since game three, I guess the middle of game four, they've been at the start of the third quarter, they've been aggressively double teaming him every game yeah. just to put it in his head, uh, yeah. make him dribble the ball. I, I I also think, I mean, I think you're bang on with it, but down low too, when he's trying to go up and he's got two hands in the ball, you know, his grip isn't what it was. No, and, and guys are down there swiping at it, like the right. second defender's hacking at it and pushing, you know, swiping at the ball when he's bringing it up to shoot or when he's bringing it up to pass. And he said the other night after game five that, yeah, he thinks about it. You know, it, it's in his, like, he thinks about what he can do without pain. And if you, if that's the way you're playing then you're basically playing scared. Well, the other thing was he stayed away from the basket a lot in the second half of game five. He was on the perimeter a lot more than, than he needs to be, I think, if you're Philadelphia. And I think Doc Rivers may not be able to do anything about it, but he wants him down low. Well, that's where he's most effective. If he gets that deep position in the post, he's, he's basically unguardable because he's, he's so big that if he's within five feet, if he's in the restricted area, he just reaches up and dunks a ball or lays it in over you. But if you force him to stop his movement down the court about the free throw line, then you've got him. Mm -hmm. then, then the second defender really gets to him and, and makes him play faster than he wants to. What did you make uh, of his post-game comments about Harden? Well, I, again, I, a good teammate says, okay, we got to get this guy more involved. A bad teammate says, well, it's on the coaches. I can't do anything about it. So that, that's another, I think, a bit of a rift there. But Harden only taking 11 shots in a game on that team is just wrong. I don't know whether it's on Harden or whether it's on Doc or who, it, or maybe it's credit to the Raptors, but Harden just hasn't been dominant at any stretch since he had a good running game one. But other than that, he's been just an average player and he's got to be above average for that team to win. I don't know well, what he, he can be. He's turned down a lot of shots. He's, he's gotten himself in position to shoot um, a bunch of, you know, 12, 15 footers and, um, is looking to pass. Yeah, you watch him. He can't, he can't or won't catch and shoot. He catches, and then he's got to dribble before he shoots, mm -hmm. and yeah. that allows the Raptors to guard him. And I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it's all that always been that way, and we haven't noticed it because we didn't see him a lot. But his his reluctance to catch and shoot really mm -hmm. costs him. I also think that you, you know, and this is just me, that there was so much talk when he got traded to Philadelphia that how can he and the big guy coexist? There's only one basketball. They're going to have a rift. I, I actually put it to Harden that he was trying to become a better teammate. He might have been, but he can't be for that team to win. And that, that was, you know, I always wondered, like you did, John, how would they share the ball? How would they right. share the shots? Right. They did it in the regular season, which really doesn't matter because no one prepares for you and no one, there's no deep game planning in a regular season game because – you had, you, had, yeah, you had a game last night, you got one tomorrow, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Now that the Raptors are able to lock in and how to guard him, they, they've turned him not ineffective, but certainly not dominant. Well, and the way they've done it, again, and based on my observation, is that they've recognized that Harden invariably wants to go left. And um, everybody that's on him, and we've seen all five guys guard him. Yeah. 
and they're forcing him to go right, forcing him to go right. Yeah. And, and when he does go right, he's clearly not as comfortable, not as confident, and do, is less likely to shoot, you know, a 15, 18, 20-footer going right than he is going left. Yep, and that's exactly right. You want to stop him. You want to stop him from getting to the left hand in the paint, because then he gets in there and you know he dribbles low, brings his hands up, rips through your hands, and if you if any player has one hand down, the referee's going to blow a whistle. Yep. So watch the Raptors when they guard him. They've all got their hands up, showing them to the officials that they're not hitting him, and that's a really really smart defensive idea. Scotty Barnes guarded him the other night on one possession, and basically had Scotty basically had his hands behind his back. Because he knew that Carden was going to dribble low and drive, and as soon as he swiped at it, the whistle was going to blow. Well, he didn't allow the referees to make that call because he showed them, hey, I'm not there. My hands are not there. And if you keep Harden to seven, eight, six, seven, eight free throws a night, he's not going to have big games. That's the bottom line. Like, he lives at the line. That's, what, that's the difference between a 20-point game and a 30-point game for him. And, and, and that, let's face it, that has been the biggest difference between the first three games and the last two games overall is the amount of time the Sixers get to the line. Yeah, and the Raptors are just guarding them better. Again, it yeah. goes back to, like, they got everybody in the series. You know, like, mm-hmm. like Barnes is now is, is a very, very good defensive player, and so is uh, Chua. Uh, he's quick and long. And in the first two games, first two and a half games, they just didn't guard. But now they are, and that's always been this, the Raptors' kind of calling card. They can throw different defensive schemes, different matchups at you. They have a lot, lot of different kind of defenders, and they're being able to use them now because they're all healthy and available in the series. We've, we, we've talked about pressure on Embiid and Harden. Uh, is there more on them or more on Doc Rivers? Oh, well, uh, in the public eye, it'll be Doc yeah. because he's, you know, he's lost three series where he's up 3-1, which has never been done before. And this will be the biggest choke job in NBA history if they get if they lose a game seven. Right. But I think the pressure's on the players to play better. Because I'm and I've said this to you guys a hundred times, coaches get too much credit when it goes good and too much blame when it goes bad in every sport. And I, I get the docs teams have lost three series when they up three one. One of them was two thousand and three with Orlando when his team was brutal and they lost to the Pistons. The Pistons mm-hmm. were just a far better team. One of them was in the bubble. A Clipper team in the bubble that uh, was certainly not the most mentally tough group of athletes ever. Mm-hmm. And the bubble, the bubble was goofy. The bubble really bubble, the count. bubble shouldn't count, Doug. Yeah, it should no, it shouldn't count. And the other one was a Clipper team that Chris Paul got hurt. Uh, I think it was Denver just played better. And that might that might have been the one stung, but frankly, the pressure is gonna be on Doc. The public perception is gonna be Doc couldn't get his team over the hump. But I think the players gotta play better. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure he's telling them what to do. It's just their ability to do it, and it, they haven't shown it so far. Well, I want to get back to that because this is the really in- intriguing part about this whole thing. Am I right in saying you believe the Raptors just played better in games? Well, they played all right in game three. Let's remember they lost in well, overtime. They, for sure. Yeah, they were up 17 points in game three. Yeah. So there were a lot of good moments in game three. That was really where it started to turn around. And then four and five, obviously. But – was this a case of the Raptors just not playing well in one and two? Or how much did Nick change things to make them play better? I, I think it was just a matter of them playing better and getting guys back in the series and, and used to what they're doing. And Nick, to his credit, what he did in games one and two was not lose faith in his guys. He figured that they would figure it out, and he let them play through bad games. Like, they were all terrible in game one, mm-hmm. but they all still played their regular time. And the same in game two. And he never got, even after game three, he wasn't, oh my God, what are we going to do? We got to make changes in personnel. We got to change everything up. They didn't. Mm-hmm. And I think players appreciate that the opportunity to fail, an opportunity to learn from their, those failures. And you saw it in game four and five, they were just like so much better than the Sixers that it, it's not even funny. Actually, well, we, we, Bob and I talked about that after game three was and it wasn't just him and it was and I'm sure you were in the room when he spoke and then Freddie spoke both of them were calm yeah both both of them they may have been disappointed but they were very logical and there was tons of common sense and there was absolutely no panic in either voice no and, and that's what this team's done all year and I and that's I think why they're able they're being able to do what they're doing is that nothing really phases them okay we got to win well let's go win okay it's first the four well, let's get the four 
Mm-hmm. You know, and it's because they went through a season where everybody missed significant time. And two guys would be out. They'd come back, two work up, two other guys would go out, and they would lose three in a row. But they had, I think they had four winning streaks of five games. And that's pretty good for a group that was new and always changing. And so I think that helped them mentally get through this because it's like, okay, well, yeah, we're down three nothing, but we got to win four games. Let's go win four games. Yeah. The other, the other, the other part, Doug, and it, it just tweaked to me. Um, no team in the NBA, no team in the NBA had the adversity the Raptors had last season. No, none. No. How, how much do you think that galvanized this team? Oh, I think it, it for the guys who are left, it made them a lot stronger because they figured we got through Tampa, but we can get through this crap. Yeah, and, you know, they were they were you know, absolutely decimated last year by COVID, having to play in Florida. Never any, it never felt normal. So I think they're able to withdraw to with them, uh, like sort of draw in themselves. Okay, it's us. Like we're the group. Let's go do it. And oh, it goes to uh, uh, Van Vliet's leadership. It goes to it goes to Siakam being totally confident in himself despite a year and a half of very bad basketball. Mm-hmm. And he's come through it like uh, he's probably going to be on one of the three All NBA teams. And uh, I think it's because they're. They don't get phased. They lived through a year where they played 82 road games. Like being down in a playoff series, well, we'll come back we'll, or, or we'll give it a shot. We won't quit on it, that's for sure. Um, I want to get to Embiid again because, in my opinion, he is the key to the series, period. Um, does Harden have to shoot more? Probably. Does he have to score more? Probably. Um, I'm not worried about other guys beating you, other guys on the Sixers. Um, I think Embiid is the key, but there are a couple of things that always stick out to me when I, when I watch Embiid play, um, in no particular order. Number one, um, there was a game and I want to say it was in the Raptors championship season where Embiid scored zero. zero points, not because he didn't play, not because he was benched for long periods of time. He was completely and utterly shut down and frustrated. And it was my perception that, I can't remember it was day or night, that he essentially gave up. Um, number two, uh, the Kawhi Leonard shot. There is video of Embiid literally in tears after that game mm-hmm. um, on the court and then walking down the hallway. And that devastated him, clearly. And... There have been a whole bunch of those things in my mind as I've watched all these games and I've watched them beat as closely as I possibly can. And I see that same frustration. I see that same. I think it's a character flaw in him. There's no doubt he is a fantastically talented player who can beat you almost on his own. But if you get to him, he can be defeated. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think he has the resolve that truly, truly great players have. Now, it's gone south in three, two and a half games for him. And I haven't yet to hear him say, screw it, I'm Joel Embiid, I'm going to get 30 and we're going to win. Mm-hmm. Like, like players would say, or would, you would, they would project that. He's projecting, well, Harden's got to shoot more, we got to, get, we got to play faster, we can't get it turned over. I don't think he's mentally tough enough to handle adversity. I agree. And I, I think that's a... That is a character flaw. That's an issue with him. Like you said, Bob, he is a brilliant basketball player. He's quick. He's got, now he's got a far better 15-foot jump shot. He's, uh, he's, he's fast. He's, he's physical. But he also can be gotten to. And the true greats don't let stuff get to them. He lets stuff get to them to him far more quickly than I think anybody I've seen in a long time. Like he just He does not seize the moment. He cowers from it. But to me, the devil's advocate, as bad as we thought he played, he still scored 20. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's still, you know, he's still a force, even if he's on the perimeter. I actually think that, you know, you're going, you're, you're going to get a certain level of him every game. Good, bad, or indifferent. You're going to get something from him. I think it's two other guys. Uh, I think it's Maxie and Harris that need to deliver. And both of them have disappeared. Maxie certainly has. That game one was what, 28 points in game one. It looked great. Yeah. But he was also like, you know, Fred was sick. Scotty was gone. Gary was absolutely out of sorts. Right. So that would, that freed him up a lot. 
Um, Harris, I think, as the series goes on, you know, he's not a young man. No. And there's, there is a grind to this. Like Danny Green, there's a grind to play in six games in 11 days or 12 days, or whatever it is, whatever it turns out to be. And I'm not sure physically those guys can handle, handle much anymore. Um, yeah. And I think that's a roster flaw in Philly. And I think it was, you know, they had to trade Ben Simmons, I think. They had to get something for him, and they got hardened. Mm-hmm. But I think losing Curry and losing uh, Drummond, uh, losing guys who were who were role players and would certainly help in this series, was a gamble, and it hasn't paid off here, and it hasn't certainly didn't pay off in Brooklyn. So who do, who does the two days off help more, the Raptors or the Sixers? When you talk about older guys, well, I think physically it helps the Sixers get a little bit, but it also gives the Sixers two days to think. Yeah. And Which may Raptors, be good or not good. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm not sure what they're thinking. I don't think it's particularly good. But the Raptors are getting two more days for Scotty's ankle to get a little bit better. Yep. They got another day in the gym to sort of go to walk through film stuff, to, to come up with different things that maybe they do something different to Embiid tonight than they have in any of the first five. And maybe, again, that's the five possessions that change the game. So I think physically it probably helps the Sixers because they're older, but it also gives them time to mull over the historical nature of what's going on with them. Doug Smith of the Toronto Star is with us. Uh, the Raptors and the Philadelphia 76ers in game six. A surprising that there is one game six. We'll come back and chat some more after these messages. McCowan and Shannon with uh, Doug Smith of the Toronto Star. So um, two things. Well, one thing has changed. The Raptors um who played an entire year and out-rebounded teams almost every night, got slaughtered on the boards in game one. Um, and weren't even, they didn't even appear to be contesting rebounds very much in game one. That has completely turned around. And I have to think that, that one of the coaches, nurse or somebody else, said, what happened? You know, you guys yeah. stopped going to the boards. You gotta you gotta win the battle on the boards. And they have. And they need to do that because their shooting is really miserable. Oh, terrible. Um you can't the likelihood of the Raptors coming out and hitting, you know, 50% on threes or whatever is not non-existent because funny stuff can happen. Look at Philadelphia, hit everything they threw up on in yeah. game one. So it can happen, but it's not likely to happen. Um the rebounding is really just effort, positioning and effort, and I think they can control the boards. And they have to because they have to put up eight or ten more shots in a game in order to be able to yeah. win. But it raises this question long distance, and I don't want to get off the Philadelphia game tonight, but don't you have to fix that long-term for this team? Yeah, they, they got it. The summer has to be spent finding shooters. Uh, that's the bottom line. And Mazai knows it. Bobby knows it. Everybody in the league knows it. Most of the guys who are shooters who are coming up for free agency know it too. And they're mm-hmm. looking at this team going, wow, there's a lot of shots there. I'm going to look, I'm going to give Toronto a good long look because there are minutes and there are shots to be taken. And yeah, you know, obviously it's been a flaw year. I didn't think they had enough three point shooting from the start of the season and it proved to be correct, but they're also where they are and they know that that's the thing they have to address because they like the group that they have. You know, they like Achua and Boucher. I think they'll probably make an offer to Thad Young. You know, they love Barnes and Siakam and, and Trent and, and, and Van Vliet and Ananobi. But that eighth, ninth guy, that, that sort of 6'6 six, six wing shooter, they don't have him right now. And that's the guy they're going to spend all summer trying to find. Again, not being distracted by, by Bob's question, like, like who's, on, who's on a list like that? I, yeah, I can't even. I don't even guess. I can't even yeah. guess who's out there because okay. you, you never know what Masai will do. Like obviously, you would, he's not going to have a lot of money. He's going to have like the mid-level exception. I think is nine point five million dollars a year to start. So mm-hmm. he might get a good player with that, but he's also willing to trade, uh, as we've seen, right. to, to do that one big thing. But yeah, they know the shooting is an issue. Back a point guard, a uh, back a point guard who can make a three pointer is got to be top of their list, and then another wing shooter. And let's face it, that's that's where the disappointment of Malachi Flynn has occurred, really, right? Yeah, just, he just can't make a shot. And, you know, I don't sure he doesn't play hard enough constantly enough. You know, Banton's interesting because he's six foot nine, but he can't shoot yet either. Now, Banton, maybe you could teach him to shoot. Flynn, I think they've worked 
long and hard, and it's just not there. So maybe it's time to move off him. And and then in games, obviously in game six, that's where you you miss Freddie the most. Maybe is outside. Yeah, exactly. He, he, yeah. You know, he's their best three point shooter. I think as a team, they're shooting thirty two percent. I don't think you know, OG Ananobi hasn't made more than one or two in a game the entire series. But he also has the ability to make five. Yeah. And if he does, then then they're going to win game six going away. Now, well, how many? Like they've they've only I think they've only made nine threes the whole series. Yeah, they're they're not taking as many because Fred hasn't played. And they're not making them. And they're and I asked Nick about this yesterday. When you look at the film, they're good looks. They're mm-hmm. just not going in. They're making that extra pass to the corner guy, and the ball's just not going in. Young made a couple. OG and Trent made back to back ones in game in the fourth quarter of game five were huge. The lead got down to nine. OG made one out of nowhere. Trent right. made one out of nowhere. The next possession, and all of a sudden, you know, you're back to fifteen point lead, and the game's over. But they need to do that far better and more, far more consistently. Well, you and I have had conversation. I think probably every conversation that we've had this year, uh, I brought up Gary Trent Jr. Yeah. And, and I know your position on it. You think he's a sixth man, right? I do. On, on, a, on championship caliber, <coughs> a, legitimate, a legitimate championship caliber team, he comes off the bench and takes the majority of the shots, I think. And I yeah, think... And I- I, I get that strategy. Opinion. I think it's an opinion shared by people in the Raptors front office. Too. I, I get that strategy. Um, and I know the value of that guy. But if you don't have, if you're going to rotate three guys at the essentially the center position, which they do, um, I don't know that you have the opportunity to use Gary Trent the, the way you would like no. to use him. Not with this group, you don't. Right, so you got to go. You got to you got to add to this group and move him to that spot. I think maybe, maybe well, I'm wrong. Well, but. and I and I I I do think you're wrong. Respectfully, um, I love his game. I love oh, his okay, defense. Yeah. I love his hands. Um, the question I have is, is he a good enough three point shooter to make he's, he's a difference? I, I, yeah, and I don't know yet. He's certainly not a certainly not a, like a knockdown guaranteed three point shooter. He's a good mm-hmm. three point shooter, and he can make a lot of tough shots. He makes a lot of shots really well guarded, but the standalone open threes, he's not at that level yet. Now maybe he get, he's only twenty three years old, so maybe That's right. he gets I was to that. Maybe, maybe he gets to that level. No question, he could. But. Uh, again, that's that's what we don't know, and that's what Zion Bobby got to figure out in the summer. Like, where do they? They need shooting, but where does it fit? Do they need a shooting three? Do they need shooting shooting two? They need a backup point guard who can shoot a little bit. Uh, that's that's their that's their big summer job. Okay, so so now that we're talking about the future, um, I actually think the Raptors are going to win this series in seven. I think they're going to win game six. I think they're going to win Saturday game seven. I think they're going to, I think this is history. This is a historic team. And by the way, I'm not sure anybody in the United States will recognize it because I keep hearing about other teams down three, one and other teams down three, Oh, and they fight back. And never once do they mention that the Raptors are now three, two, never. I, I, I watched every game, Doug. They don't even know that there's basketball being played North of the border right now. They don't. It's okay. We, we can live with that. I don't have a chip on my shoulder about it at all, but we can, we can live with that. So I think they're going to win. But, but what does this team do in the offseason to become bigger? Do they need to become bigger? I, I think they got to become better shooters. I think their size is good because I think you're going to play Ananobi, Barnes, and Siakam as your 3-4-5. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty darn good, all three of them. So I don't think they need a center, like a quote, big man. Because I think the way they play, the way the game's going, you don't need that hulking guy. You're mm-hmm. only guarding maybe three of them in the regular season anyway Embiid, Jokic, uh, Towns. Other than that, there's not a lot of them out there to worry about. Right. So you, you play to your strengths, and their strengths are quickness and length in the front court. And with those three guys, and if they bring Boucher back, which I think they will, they and, and you know, Achua is who knows what if my grain said to me the other day, he looked at me during the game, he goes, What if Achua is really good? And he might be. He might he very he very well be. Like he it, might be a great player. Yeah. How far he's come from November to today is shocking. Absolutely shocking. I've sat with a uh, a member of the coaching staff at a practice in Miami and January. We were down there for the Kyle Howard game that didn't come off. And they were practicing at the Overtown Optimus Club. 
And I'm sitting with the coach, and the practice is over, and she was getting some work in on the court. And I looked at it, I said, what do you think of that guy? He goes, if he ever gets it, he's going to be great, but I don't know if he'll get it. But you know what? He gets it. Like, he, he doesn't – he's still – it's still an adventure. Every time he dribbles a ball, you don't know – you have no clue where it's going to go. But he's also 22 and playing his second year in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I think the kid's got a chance to be really, really good, which would be – Total found money for the Raptors. You know, they, they were they were intrigued by him, and he was the key piece of the Lowry trade. Like they, you know, so it was supposed to be Tanner Hero, wasn't it? Well, that, that was last year. <laughs> that in was the a season. dream. That was last year <laughs> in the season. And Hero might have been good, but for the way this team plays, I'd rather have a six nine guy who is now becoming a three point shooter, handles the ball a little bit better. His mental uh, attention to detail defensively is yeah. way. Like it's light years better today than it was even in January and put him in a summer with the Raptors developmental program. Oh, yikes. This, he could be an all-star player, like yeah. which well, is he, going to be crazy good. I was going to say about 30 seconds ago, um, I see him and, and what I've seen this year reminds me so much of what I saw from Siakam in the first year in year and a half <clears throat> where he was so green and, you oh, knew yeah. he had some skill, but you didn't know if he'd ever be able to corral it. And look, he's arguably their best. Siakam is arguably their best player right now. Maybe not even arguably. Yeah. This guy could be another one of them. He absolutely could be. He absolutely could be. And I think he's got the drive. Like I've talked to him a bunch of this in the season and he's supremely confident. When, so he knows that he, he knows that he could be really good and he wants to be great. And I think that's a big, big deal with the young player that his, his, thought process is I'm going to dominate the game. And you like to see that in a kid, especially as the skills, the physical tools to do that some nights. Um, so here's another one we're going to argue about. Uh, it's not that I don't like um, Ananobi. Um, it's just, I've never subscribed to the, the joyous prospect of what a great player he is and will continue to be that so many others have. Uh, he can play on my team, but he's not going to be the star of my team. No, no. And, he's, and he's a great third player, fourth player. Yeah, maybe. He's, maybe. He, 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 like he's Richard Jefferson on the piss, uh, you know, on, he's one of those guys that's a, a good role player on a good team. Well, he's like Wiggins with the Warriors this year. Yeah. He's yeah. the other guy can get you 25 some night out of nowhere because he has a skill. But I also think he, he's he's quite willing. He's quite accepting of that role. He doesn't want to. He wants to be better, obviously. Yeah. But he's quite willing to be the guy with Siakam and Fred and Precious and 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 Barnes, whose you know ceiling is is crazy good. But I think Ananobi is an important player because he guards a lot of different spots. And every now and then he can make a three, and every now and then he can pop a twenty-five point game. Yeah. Everybody on this team guards everybody on the other team. Yeah, some I mean, better than, like, but OG better than most. Like, yeah. you can switch him on a point. You can't put, well, you, Chua can't guard point guards that well, but uh, OG can. Uh, OG's strong, so he can get centers. So he can bang with them on a box. Like, it's, he's got a, 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 a variety of defensive skills that not a lot of guys, no one on this team, and not a lot of guys in the league have. Yeah, I, I tell you what, but I, I used to prescribe to Bob's philosophy of, of, of uh, Ananobi. I, I've, I'm changing, and and it all not, it, it it is all derived from his defense. Yeah, just it's guard, all just it's all it, it's all in his own in the in the in, in the defensive zone of the of the court. To me, now, that, he is so good, and he's also got to be able to play. He's got to stay healthy. Yeah, and, and that's wow. an issue. That and might be that might be the biggest issue. It is because he oh, we got a, he got a, a hit pointer and missed fourteen games. He got the finger and missed another, I think, 14 or 15 games. Like, there's always something. And he's got to be able to play 65 or 67 mm-hmm. games a year instead of 57 or 55 games a year. And he hasn't shown that ability yet. Mm-hmm. That's the next big step, I think, for him is being, uh, being available every night yeah. or most nights. Well, we're going to agree to disagree on Ananobi. And again, I'm not saying he's not a a, a, a good player. I'm the headline just, is Bob hates Ananobi. That's for the record. That's the that's the. I headline. don't hate Ananobi. Um, <laughs> I just I'm trying to counter some of the glory that everybody throws on him. Well, I, I here's one thing we can all agree on though: 
he should win the award as the least emotional player in the oh. National Basketball Association and maybe in all of sport. Totally stoic. Totally stoic. You don't know whether you look at him in a game, you know, you have no idea whether the team's up 20 or down 20. Yeah. And you look at him after the game, you don't know whether he had 30 or three. That might be the know. that might be the issue that people say, oh, I, I'm not sure he's competitive enough, but we know well, you yeah. can see it. No, you I wouldn't say that. I, you think just, the fire's there, but I'm not 100% sure. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, hey, so, yeah. Um, yeah. So, he's, so, um, um, I, I've already declared the Raptors are going to win the series. Yeah, so, have, yeah. um, but if the Sixers win tonight, uh, in your autopsy tomorrow, uh, Nick and, and Masai and Bobby view this season as what? Oh, a tremendous success. A, a tremendous, like everybody on the team is better today than they were in November. And that's what this year was always about developmental guys like like guys like Achua, guys like Boucher, guys like Barnes, guys like Trent, even like Siakam and Fred are still really great players. They're both all-star players. Mm -hmm. But for where they were and what they thought they would get out of this team, 48 wins, six games in the playoffs, and and individual improvement makes this season a, a, a tremendous success, regardless of what happens tonight. So here's the intriguing thing, you know, as you, whether they win or lose uh, this round or the next round or who knows. Um, we've talked about some of the things that the organization is going to try and fix. But here's the real question. Have they stumbled upon a formula with basically playing with six guys, seven guys who are six, nine and Fred mm -hmm. and I guess Trent to some extent, but this whole bunch of six, nine guys. Do you stick with this? Oh, I think what happens? What happens if, and, and here's what I was thinking, you know, we're watching, I'm watching as you did, I'm sure the new Orleans series. And we watch our friend, uh, Valanchunas play. And I always loved Valanchunas yeah. and I was sad to see him go, but I understood. Um, if Valanchunas was available again, would you bring him back? Is he the kind of, would he fit or is it, it, are you are you are you in danger of screwing up what they have by trying to improve what they have? Yeah, no, I I don't think I I love JV like like a brother, but I can't I don't see how he would fit on this team because he's not quick enough. He doesn't guard well enough in the pick and roll. He doesn't switch a lot. But I, I think they have stumbled on something that works. I think you're going to find a lot more teams mimicking them. I agree, and I think they've got the basis the basis for a very intriguing team that will last a long time, not revolutionizing the game, but changing how it's played a little bit. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing. And it's all about, it's all driven by their personnel. They stumbled on a group that allows that to be successful. If there was, so a I don't, I don't Sorry. think you step back from it at all. You know? If, if there was a great, and I have no idea, I doubt there is, but um, if there was a great seven foot back to the basket center available, to the Raptors somehow through the draft or whatever. Would Doug Smith, general manager, be interested? Probably not as much as uh, a lot of other general managers. So I like the way this team plays. But Me too. If, the guy, if the guy was going to be a seven-year all-star, then you'd be cheating yourself if you didn't take right. him off and how he would fit. And then maybe you get a guy who is right now a seven-foot-one, back-to-the-basket kind of guy. And you teach him to be yeah. that perimeter guy. A guy like, look at a guy like Carl Anthony Towns. When he came in the league, he was a post-up center. Yeah. Now he's like winning three-point shooting contests yeah. in an all-star weekend. Yeah. And, and winning skills. Can't happen. Let me remind everyone that, you know, the personality of this team has changed even in this series when you went from a small, you know, from Van Vliet to, to another different type of starting five. I mean, size matters still in this league. Yeah. Size like, matters. Overall size. Like, yeah. Not, not that like the one big guy and a bunch of guys. Yeah, like, you know, having, having like three guys, six foot nine on your front line. Like, yeah. Like Cle Cleveland are really good with marketing Mobley and Jared Allen. They're all seven footers, but they're all not capable of, of guarding on the perimeter. They're a little bit slow. Mobley's going to be a great player. No question about it. Allen is offensively limited. Marketing, I think, is more at the end. But that didn't particularly, you know, they got hurt, but that didn't work. Well, Allen was pretty banged up. Well, they folded the last month of the year. Yeah, yeah and Mobley got hurt, and, and yeah, yeah I, I get it. But 
even even when they were going well, you didn't know whether that was sustainable because of their individual skills. When the Raptors were going bad, you thought, okay, if they get healthy with Achua, uh, Barnes, uh, Siakam, Boucher, that's a very imposing group of six foot nine inch guys. I tell you what, though, if you if there's a seven footer out there, if there's a seven footer out there that you feel has potential, I'd be drafting them, and I wouldn't be starting them. Because you might need and find a way to change the personality of your team as the game goes on in certain scenarios. Yeah, but at some point, the difference between six foot ten and seven feet is hair. <laughs> yeah, you're right. right? Like, you know, Everyone's sort of faster. We got to get a seven foot center. Well, get a yeah. six ten center with like a big dude. You know, that's that's why I tell you what. That Bob's actually five eleven, and you know, you exactly look at that right. hair, right? Yeah. Or put lifts in his shoes. Measure him <laughs> up. Why? Why? He's a seven footer. Achua could get back to a seven footer next year. That that is that might I got to I got to tell you right now. That is the line of the week on the podcast. Yeah, it's true though. Like, like you don't. I I don't know. Gary, like Fred VanVleet's listed. I think six one. Yeah, he's not my height. I'm six one. Gary Trent. I think they got it. Gary Trent at like six six. Yeah. More like six three. Chua six. Well, they all lie. Yeah, yeah, they all they do. And well, how how tall are you, Bob? Six two. And I, there's no way. What do you think? I'm six four. <laughs> no, you're six one. No, and I'm then not. the and then the hair. Then hair. No, right. And then hair, right, Dougie? I'm six three when they with hair. The hair down, when they press yeah. the hair down to measure now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say I'm six two. It's been a few years since I measured myself. Oh, you know, okay, you get yeah. older. We're not getting any taller as we get older. That's you don't get sure. taller. Yeah. I'm, no. I'm, I'm not taller. I'm wider. So, Well, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> Before uh, you would. I know that. So. Oh, I would have too. Yeah, I know. Um, so, do they win tonight? Yes. I think and, what they, I, yeah. and what happens in Philly? Uh, Come on. I think they'll win. I think the Raptors will win them both. I really do. I think, they, I, think so do I. Seven, I think if they get to seven, they're going to be in Philly's head so bad. Yep, and it'll just be—it'll be quite something to see. It'll be the greatest rubber match of a best of seven series between the Sixers and the Raptors, as you can imagine. After the Vince year in two thousand one, I was going to say Kawhi's year in twenty nineteen, and a game seven on Saturday. Vince Carter and Kawhi Leonard have to be on the show on Saturday. This series deserves a game seven, and it deserves to be epic. But I think I think if it gets to game seven, I think it will be somewhat less than epic. and, And I checked. There's nobody going to college graduation. No, before Saturday. Be There's nobody going to college graduation before and it might Saturday. Be a, it might be a seven o'clock start, which is great for us. And we can get in and out. And we might be having dinner on South Beach on Sunday night. Yeah. And there are oh, the, nice uh, for you. And you wonder how you wonder how healthy the the heat are. Yeah, but they're really they're really that, that's a whole different kettle of fish. They're really oh, yeah. good. Like they're yeah. they're just good. Yeah, they're that would, really that good. would be that would be an epic series, but every game would be like 84, 81. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, with Lowry there, um, it would add that special little oh, magic. Yeah, for sure, for sure, it'd be a lot of fun. But they got to get. They, I know one I step get, at a time. Exactly. I, this, you know, this kind of reminds me of Game Five in the 2019 Finals, when it was all set up for the Raptors to win at home. Right. Yeah. The city was ready to explode. They had played well. Everybody on the Warriors was hurt. Blah blah blah. Durant went out. It was. It was all set up for the Raptors to have this joyous thing for the city and the country, and they lost. Now they won it. it they won it in Game Six, but yeah. But the moment got away, and this is another one I think. Oh God, it's it's looking too good to be true. So they got to come out and play. They got to play I, hard. But I, think I, see, they, I, I see a different team now. Yeah, I so, really and, do. I, and I think the crowd is a big boost. I think playing at home is a big thing, and I think everybody's like I said, they're, they're basically playing with house money. Yep. They can play for. They can play free. There's no pressure on them at all. I'm I'm booking your uh, reservation at Cleveland House on Sunday. So yeah, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, Dougie, Dougie, uh, we love you. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. I know you will, uh, even yeah. though you're working. And um, get ready for Philadelphia. Yeah, I think it'll be uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, these are these are these are what you live for in a business. A hundred percent. Great stories that are enduring, and it, whatever happens Thursday, Saturday is going to be. Historic and, and fun, and, and that's fine with me. Doug Smith of the Toronto Star. We'll come back and wrap it after these messages. Uh, we are back. Our thanks again to Doug Smith of the Toronto Star. For so I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Good. Um, people are really excited about the Raptors. 
people are still apprehensive about the maple leaves. What's the difference? Well, there's a level of confidence in the Toronto Raptors. Um, a level of belief that they can achieve the purportedly unachievable, just as they did in 2019 when they won the championship. But I don't hear about Raptor fans saying that this team is going to win the championship. No, but they believe that there is, they have confidence that they can do things um, when it's not expected. The Maple Leafs have had a historic season. They have also had a history of getting of choking mm-hmm. and losing in the postseason mm-hmm. in a whole variety of ways. Mm-hmm. This is a team with this base that has not made it out of the first round and should, I think you'd have to concede, should have been better, maybe even much better. And yeah. um, how do you have confidence? I have no confidence that the Maple Leafs can win, um, can beat Tampa. They'll have home ice advantage. I don't think it matters. Yeah. I think Tampa wins it maybe four, probably five. No, no, come on. Come on. Say That's what you it. want. There, hold on. That is your Shaquille o- O'Neal moment right there. That's your Shaquille O'Neal moment. I have no trust in this Toronto Maple Leaf team in the postseason. None whatsoever. And I have no trust <clears> in their <throat> goaltending right now. With no disrespect to Campbell um, or anybody else, Campbell's going to play. He's going to he probably has. play every game. He has to. He has and, to. And I don't think, I don't think he's... I don't think this team is capable of playing playoff hockey, and we know Tampa Bay is. I'm, I would argue that Tampa Bay is the worst opponent for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round. Not Boston, not even Florida, and I know there was no chance they were going to play Florida, but I think they'd have a better chance against either of those two teams than Tampa Bay. I think they have no chance against Tampa. Now, zero. Zero. Hope, zero. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't plan on it. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Seen the I was actually, I was actually read the consider, book. I was considering taking the Maple Leafs in the first round. You go right ahead. <laughs> you can, and and you don't have to have to call a bookie. You just call me. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll negotiate terms. Okay, we'll do uh, that. Back tomorrow for uh, John Shannon, Bob McCowan. Thanks for listening or watching. See you.